All right. We're back. We're back. <laughs> First episode of 2020. Yes. We had a vacation. We're sort back. of. We'll never do this to you again <laughs> until the next holiday. Right. We leave. <laughs> we leave. Look at all the stuff that happened, Anthony. A lot. A lot of stuff. A lot's well, gone down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Welcome to Freightonomics, uh, the podcast where we focus on the economics of freight. Yes. Bringing the two together. Bringing them together and uh, have a little fun along the way. Yeah. So, I'm Zach Strickland. I'm and Anthony Smith. There's Anthony Smith over there. Uh, Anthony is a rugby star uh, that specializes in economics. Rugby star yeah, is yeah. a stretch. <laughs> star. It's a stretch. <laughs> yeah. uh, did you have a good break, Anthony? It was good. It was good. I got to Arizona. Um, it was a bit disappointing on the weather front. Got to see the family, but I was like, oh, Arizona. I'll be in the 50s, 60s, you know, 70s, maybe. It was raining. It was just raining. Raining in Arizona. 50s the entire time. I could have been. I could have stayed in Chattanooga for that weather. You know, and it floods real quickly out there. Real quick. Yeah. Yeah, real quick. You, know, but, you wouldn't think it in the desert. I guess no. m- many people wouldn't think that in the desert, but... Those but, that know, it's, it's actually quite a big thing out there. Yeah. Going I enjoyed across. the time, though. I enjoyed the rain. Rain's nice. You know, nice okay. little change of pace. All right. Well, it is January, yeah. Anthony, and it's not my favorite month of the year. I don't know if you know that. It's an exciting month, though, Zach. I it's just, like, I just, you know, having worked for 15 years yeah. in freight, it is, it is one of the hardest months of the year for the carriers and shippers, even, and yeah. brokers. Uh, me and Kevin L., we were on On the Spot this week. Right. Uh, for those of you that watch the Freightways TV shows, uh, me and JP normally do a weekly recap of what happened in the spot market and anything that may or potentially impact those rates. And he, we were talking about it this last week about how this is the time where we share memes with each other. Yeah. And who can get the most creative, uh, you know, because it is a dead period. Um, you know, this year we have two weeks off. Really? Yeah. Because it's right. We had two Wednesdays, which again, why everybody missed their freightonomics. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, right in the middle two, of the week. Two weeks of just not a lot happening, but yeah. a lot did happen, Anthony, while yes. we were away. Yes. And so we're going to jump in on some of that, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. A quick recap of, of some of the stuff that happened while we were gone. Um, yeah, one just, of those things for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we had we had quite a bit of news mm-hmm. uh, hit the market. We're not going to go into detail on those. It, it, it's significantly but we are going to just touch on these because they do have a pretty lasting impact some of these some of these pieces right so the truckstop.com outage uh for those of you that watch what the truck yeah. one of our other podcasts yeah. i actually filled in with kevin hill you know mentioning him he filled in a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so did i uh, about this that happened right before christmas um you may be asking yourself well why does it matter now in january it matters it does matter it matters Oh, well, this, anybody that operates a uh, truck during this time of year knows that it is a hectic time of year, especially on the spot market. Mm-hmm. So in our sonar platform, we track tender rejection rates, which is the rate at which carriers reject their contracted freight tenders from the shippers. Yeah. So the higher that number goes, that's basically upward rate pressure. Yeah. So people are willing to pay more to get that capacity or get that truck to their dock, et cetera. And they hit their highest levels of the year by a mile, right? like a country mile yeah. in terms of, well, excluding the early part of January last year when things were really coming off of a hot 2018. Yeah. But uh, June tender rejection rates were around 6%. We, we topped 14% uh, this Christmas. So it's pretty significant. Yeah, it was significant. So what that means is, is there's a lot of spot market activity. Yeah. Because that means that these shippers are going to have to go down their route guides, get into some, you know, they're going to have to pay to get that truck there. Yeah. Because a lot of these drivers, they're going home for the holidays. 
And there's just not the availability that you see throughout the year. Uh, Christmas, uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's, fun fact, it is the most vacation time of year in the United States. Did you know that? No. Yes. It is the single most vacation week in the United States, uh, followed in a distant second, I believe is the 4th of July week. So really, we vacation in six month intervals, effectively. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, we we're very seasonal people. Uh, Start to be predictable at some point in time. Us, us American humans. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, so truckstop.com goes down. You know, a lot of people are relying on that to source their freight. There was a ransomware attack, it turns out, and you know they got back online and everything became all all nice and hunky dory, but. Yeah, that, that meant that there was one less uh, avenue available for people to fight, to source their uh, their capacity yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. That was a big one. So along those lines, you know, we had the ELD hard mandate. We talked about this on the last show a little bit. We touched on it. Yeah. Um, AORBDs are, you know, kind of an older version of an ELD. They can be upgraded uh, on the software side to an ELD. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just additional features and regulations that have to be present in the ELD for it to be, you know, compliant for the FMCSA. Well, uh, a few of these, uh, you know, companies reportedly had uh, some outages, you right. know, whispers of these outages. And, uh, you know, technology kind of failed here because they weren't, you know. And that, that, that was kind of, I guess, the theme of the late part of 2019 mm-hmm. here over the last few weeks, actually the early 2020 so far as some of these uh, technologies failing. Yeah. And, you know, some of these things are not private. They're government implemented, such as the ELD and whatnot. And mm-hmm. uh, the next one, the FMCSA clearinghouse. Yeah. It crashed uh, day one. <laughs> <laughs> Overwhelming this number like of Y2K. I mean, this is what they expected Y2K to be like, but it's now just, it's like 20 years delayed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's effectively the same thing. It's Y2K with freight. And, you know, it's hard. You know, this happens all the time. I think anybody that's worked in a company, you know, you, you plan for something and then you think that you've got it fully tested and functional. And yeah. then what happens? But everything happens all at once. And it's like, well, you just can't plan for everything right. that happens. And these, these, are, these are normal, you know, anytime you launch something. But it's also a lot of the reason people are hesitant to adopt new technology. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, the, this is the cost of adapting or adopting new infrastructure and yeah. changing your existing infrastructure. It doesn't always go smooth. Now, I don't think the clearinghouse crashing is going to collapse the freight market by any means. Right. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. And the, EO, the ELD thing is, is really not going to, uh, you know, crush the industry either. These are just little, little hangups. Uh, you know, we're not going to make a big hyperbolic statement about how the whole market's in chaos. Yeah, guys falling. Um, yeah but, uh, you know, it, it is kind of a hindrance. You know, it is a pain, especially here in January when you're already depressed like I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to go through these little hoops, yeah. you know, these carriers and, you know, these companies out there that are having to deal with some of this stuff. These are just little headaches that really get in the way of yeah. what, you know, everybody's trying to have a good January. Right, right. And they just can't. Yeah. These... They just can't. Um, January, so yeah. I mean, I think another one on your on your radar of a, I think that you're going to get into a little bit later is, um, geez, the weather in January, right? And the weather those... is, you know, every every quarter, you get on these earnings calls from some of these bigger carriers, yeah. and every single one of them cite the weather as this huge impact 
like a surprise every year? Like I used to make fun of, and some of the people are here in this office, you know, (laughs) I used to, I used to make sarcastic statements to him saying like, Hey guys, did you, did you realize that winter comes every year? It's approaching. And you know what happens in the winter? We have this cyclical pattern, Yeah, you know, the seasonal pattern, I should say. Strange. uh, Where people stop shipping freight. Yeah. And January is the bottom end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. And, and the weather has a lot to do with that. Yeah. But also the weather uh, impacts like the network. So in terms of like why these companies are complaining about the weather is they're, they're literally having these moments of where their trucks just can't get moving. Mm-hmm. You know, the snow gets dumped across the northern uh, tier of the, the country and all these accidents can happen. I mean, safety is becoming an increasing concern. That's um, a big part, right? Yeah. The, the we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that a little bit later yeah. uh, here in the show, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And, um, one more thing on my end, uh, to cover real quick before we dive into the, the real fruit and berries of the rest of this, uh, and you're, and you give me, you know, we had some economic releases oh, yeah. Oh, as, yeah. as well as some that are coming up that are pretty important to freight. Um, AB five was delayed yeah. to the 13th. Uh, we had a assembly bill five as it's called, uh, was pushed back to the 13th. Now I don't personally think this is a huge win or loss or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Everybody that was impacted by this had, was already in, I mean, they were a day away. Yeah from implementing this and it's not like, you know, all these people were just sitting there just waiting on, well, maybe something's going to happen at the last minute. Right. No, it's, (laughs) you know, it's, it's one of those things they were already in process. I know prime had reportedly offered like over 6,000 relocation package deals to people to move out of the state of California. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's, that's pretty telling to me right there. I mean, prime is one of the biggest carriers in the, in the United States. Mm -hmm. A uh, heavy reefer carrier has a tank division. You know, you've, I'm sure anybody that's driven a car on the interstate has seen a prime truck out there. Yeah. Uh, they are willing to move their people out of a state yeah. to avoid this. Yeah. Uh, and that just goes to show you what kind of impact this can have to the industry, right. um, especially the state of California, which anybody that's worked <laughs> uh, that has had to deal with California in general, it is at, like handling a, you know, people working in a different country. Yeah, uh, the the laws are totally regulations different there. Are really different. Oh, you know the you know all about these regulations, oh, especially on the housing side. Oh yeah, the permits. Oh man, mm. they are heavily regulated state, and it makes it very difficult to work. Now they can get away with this, yeah, because it is it's basically he's got a GDP of a small country, yeah, <laughs> and population through the roof. I think it, yeah, population's probably past Canada at this point. I think it's on is par it with really? Canada. Yeah, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Fact check me. Yeah, I was going to say, we need a fact checker like they have at ESPN. Yeah. The research department at ESPN is sick. Um, <laughs> they could have it to us in like five seconds. Exactly. So, um, yeah, California, this AB5 ruling is uh, really, you know, something that there's a lot of people that probably have a big concern about this, especially if you are operating in that state. Right. Uh, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be crippling to those that aren't prepared to pay for it if it does go through. Yeah. I think this, uh, you know, the basically the California Trucking Association is the one that's got the injunction against it. Um, and, you know, it doesn't feel like they're going to pass this fully, at least in terms of trucking. Right. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's California. Yeah. Uh, that That's the basically the idea here is for those that don't really know is if you are considered a contractor for a, a company. Mm-hmm. So that means for trucking specifically, if you're an owner operator, you don't technically work for Prime. You work 
on your own. Gotcha. But they ask you to go and haul freight for you. Gotcha. Now, the problem is, is it gets a little wonky when it's like, well, what makes you a contractor? Well, it you pay me independently. You don't give me health and welfare benefits. Um, yeah, I cannot tell you what to do mm-hmm. with your business. Yeah. You are coming on board to do a specific task for me, which is carry freight when I want to. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of a gray area when it's like, well, if you want to work for us, you have to do what we tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that things get a little hazy in the middle there. And if they pass this law, that means that you're basically either work for prime. Yeah. Or you don't. <laughs> right, right, right. I can't go out and hire people. Now, the trucking industry, as we're talking about right now, extremely seasonal. Yeah. So right now, January, what's happening in January? Not a lot. Not a lot. There's not On a lot. On the trucking that, side. There's not a lot that happens in the economy in January, is it not? It's not. I mean, there's some things that tick up slightly. Mm-hmm. Like people tend to buy more furniture in the winter. Okay. I think it's because they're they're confined to their homes a little bit more. Sure. And like, ah, I've always hated that couch, yeah. you know? <laughs> we do something about that. And so, so internally, like, I guess they're doing some ref- refurbishing. Yeah. And that's the great thing about winter. That's the great thing about the cold months. Is you can have your winter. You can do a lot of internal reconstruction. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, it's good. A little exhale. It's good for, for everyone. No, I mean, I don't mind taking a break. Yeah, yeah. You know, from, you know, constantly remodeling my house. <laughs> but... You know, I, I I guess I like the option. Yeah. I like to have the option to do whatever I want. The winter really limits my options. Yeah, that's fair. To that regard. And I think that's the way it is, especially in the northern tier. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. They get feet of snow dumped on them. They can't really do much. Yeah. There's not a lot. I mean, uh, road work really comes to a halt up there, which is a big, you know, infrastructure building type deal. And a lot of that freight gets moved on trucks. Yeah. Yeah. I've met with several uh, carriers over the past that actually specialize in that type of freight. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just, you know, it's not just limited to, you know, a certain section. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a slowdown across yeah. the economy, just as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, you, you're a fan of the winter. Mm. So you've got some news to report on the macro side that may give some of these carriers out here something to be excited about. What yeah. So on, on the macro front, um, one of the segments that's doing well, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, housing. So this is an area of the economy that was positioned to do slightly well in 2019, but there were supply side issues. Um, one of the things that we're seeing now is that permits, housing permits. And so this proceeds uh, construction on the home. Starts. Yeah. Right. Proceeds starts. And so um, in order for a home to be built, it has to go through the uh, regional um, governments, uh, local government to be permitted to be built in that area, that's that plot of land. And so, the permits are an essential part for starts and permits right now are on a 12 and a half year high. And so that's insane. Yeah. 12 and a half years. Yeah. So that's, that's before the bubble. That's before the bubble. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might see where you're hitting towards here. Yeah. <laughs> 2008 that everybody, people may not know about it. I'm yeah. Happy that they don't, I guess. But <laughs> Just erase it from your mind. Yeah, the how the whole economic, the Great Recession, as it's been tagged yeah. in 2008, 2009, was caused by the housing market collapsing. Yeah, I can't wait to be like 75, 80 years old and like, sit down, let me tell you about the Great Recession, kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, so permits are doing really well right now. Um, the thing is that's really holding it back is um, the supply side issue. So there's not enough labor, skilled labor to build it, um, which is a good problem to have because a lot of people are employed. They have options. But the lack of skilled labor is starting to bump up uh, 
the pricing for ah, the homes that gets at that. So you got to pay for your house. Got to pay for yeah. it. Yeah. And that's going to add to some of the prices. It's right. that skilled labor. And so the other thing that's uh, limiting activity is um, available land. And so available land is also going to start to really limit. Well, especially out, you know, in a place like California. I mean, if you look at a Google Maps of California. Yeah. yeah. There's not a lot of space left. No, no. They're and cramming you wherever they can find a crack. Another place that you mentioned, regulations. Yes. So <laughs> um, that's going to be difficult for them, um, especially as, uh, so in the Northeast, um, there's, each region has different breakdowns, right? It's between single family and multi-unit housing starts. Right. Um, and so these characteristics look different across the country. So when we're looking at the South, it's going to be primarily driven by single unit homes because we have land in the South that you can just plop these single-family homes on. Not so much in the middle of Boston, you know, or in the Northeast, uh, where there's not a lot of just available land. It's a very right. mature market. And so a lot, um, lean a lot more on the, the multifamily home uh, side of the spectrum. And so that's going to be a lot more of the, the impact there and existing home sales. So Yeah, so, I mean, for those of you that don't know, the real impact to trucking here, like, I mean, anybody that's shopping at Home Depot mm-hmm. or going to a Kirkland's or something that buys, you know, some sort of finishing or furnishing for a house, like, this yeah. is, these all have a trickle-down effect. Oh, yeah, and um, so it's not just the flatbed activity because no. that's big, you know, when you have the home going up, flatbed activity of these building materials going across the country. It's huge. Right. Um, but the downstream effect, because as we just talked about, there are limitations right now for the housing starts. Right. There's the much bigger portion is existing home sales. That's well over 80% of the home transactions. And so there's also, of course, remodeling projects that go into, you know, as you mentioned, Home Depot and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you're feeling confident about buying a home, you're also buying other things. You're, you're filling it up with stuff. And so yep. there's going to be that downstream effect where, you know, you're getting home appliances, uh, you're getting refrigerators, stoves, ovens, all that good stuff, couches, um, TVs, uh, filling your new home up with new stuff. Yep. And so even if you're not buying a new home, you have an existing home, um, th- those downstream effects are still in play and all that has to go by freight. And so there's a good, that's a, a, a bit of good news because even if we're not seeing that boom right now with a uh, flatbed, even though construction spending is doing well right now, mm-hmm. um, that downstream effect is strong for freight. And so um, and in spring, that's when it really turns up. Yeah. So spring is yeah. really going to be, I think in the next three, four months here. Can't yeah. wait for that. Yeah. I love all See? the seasons. See? I love all the seasons. I'm into spring. <laughs> I love all the seasons. You can have, you can have January. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> it. And then you got, you got something else that's, uh, you know, kind of tangential to this. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about a lot about, you know, housing has been a positive, mm-hmm. uh, actually for the last couple of months now, yeah. really trending up after a really soft, well, when the rest of the economy was booming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because of costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. I saw lumber was at like an all-time high at one point in 2018, yeah. like May of 2018. Yeah, a lot of weird stuff going on with building uh, yeah. materials. Um, another aspect of it is employment conditions and so jobless claim yeah you gotta have a job before you go out and buy a house and so um jobless claims have been steadily falling uh, uh, or pretty much staying at a pretty low level historically and the participation rate isn't quite where it was pre-recession levels but it's 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 nice is that what is it now explain participation rate so when you're looking at unemployment Mm -hmm. um typically it's tracked by people who are actively looking for work Mm -hmm. and so if you no longer are actively looking, you're a discouraged worker, you're no longer considered uh, 
in that unemployment uh, survey that right. that's been given out. And so the normal number, the unemployment rate that everybody reports, yeah, is under four percent right now. Yeah, three point five. Yeah, there you go, which is super low, very low. Uh, that's all. That's I, I remember my my macroeconomics teacher said that that was actually a bad sign because you have uh, underemployment or overemployment, mm. overemployment, which means that businesses can't find enough skilled labor, like you were mentioning. Yeah, the, for housing for whatever the job is. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of inefficiency there in terms of business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we start to see, there's another aspect put out by Jolt, um, the quit rate. And so the quit rate is also key to watch because that's how confident, um, uh, consumers feel about, you know, Hey, I feel good about the job market. I'll go test the waters and see exactly. what's out there. And so when the quit rate is high, that's usually a good indication that consumers are feeling good about the job market. They're feeling confident about finding new opportunities of employment and so that's that's also pretty pretty high as well. Um, yeah. So consumers are still feeling confident, and um, yeah, it's, well, that's it's good. Big. That's good for the consumers. But I mean, yeah. if you're running a brokerage, something with a traditionally high attrition rate, yeah, that's not great. No, no, because <laughs> that means that you're going to have to really do your best to make sure that that company has got a good culture. Your people yeah. are happy. You know, you can't just go out there and say, "Well, you're lucky to have a job." Yeah, you got to <laughs> differentiate yourself a little yeah. bit. And so that's going to be. Um, I think a big part for those for the companies that are really looking to hold on to their employees is right. how do you differentiate? What kind of benefits do you have, and and what kind of perks are you going to bring that is going to limit your employees from looking elsewhere? And so, as you mentioned, with brokerages that already have that kind of high attrition rate, that's going to be key. Yeah. Um, but but I guess the the big part is you know when these people are feeling confident and they're making um, they have a, a pretty good amount for a disposable income. Um, even if they don't have the disposable income, they're feeling confident enough to run up their credit cards. That's going to lead to more stuff being bought. That's going to lead to more freight being moved throughout the economy as, uh, getting a little lazy, getting a little relaxed. Yeah. get laxed. Yeah. And then, you know, they start, they start swiping, get that Amazon prime going and, and we make it easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We make it real easy to oh, spend yeah. that money. Oh yeah. Don't they? Well, I guess the, the, you know, it's good and bad. Um, you know, January again, slow, People could get bored, start looking for other jobs and stuff like that. If you're an employer, that's not great. Um, if you are, but however, that might be a good thing. If you're super slow and you're like, hey, maybe you do need to go somewhere. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But it's January and it's going to end at some point. Yeah. You know, January, February. Um, so I was looking at, you know, some of the the data we have on our freight situation in January. And I didn't know that before I came here. I didn't really have a, I knew that we were always slow in January. Mm-hmm. I had that down for a fact. I didn't realize that just about everybody was slow in January. It wasn't just me, not just in trucking, but in a lot of different, you know, businesses. Yeah. A lot of spots of the economy are slow. Well, I was looking specifically at ours and I'm like, okay, so how is, how can you change? Like, what is different about this January versus last January and the January before that, et cetera. So we have seen uh, some interesting pattern shifts over the last two years or so in freight volume. So we only drop about one to two percent off of December freight volumes the last two years really? in January, which is a pattern shift from the four to seven percent that we saw the five years preceding that. So basically, two thousand. 12 to 2017, it was a four to five or four to seven percent drop yeah. from December to January. So yeah. it was pitiful. Yeah. This this time around, even last year when we were falling off of what we thought was a super hot time, mm-hmm. it didn't drop significantly off of December. And that's according to the CAS shipments index that I was looking at, which includes rail volume and truckload volumes. Yeah. Um, now, 
our OTVI, our outbound tender volume index supports this mm -hmm. uh, to an extent uh, because I was looking at that and I was like, well, actually volumes this year mm -hmm. are exceeding last year yeah. by about 4% on average over the last you know couple of days, I yeah. should say. It hasn't been significant. I mean, obviously we've seen a little bit more of a uh, normalizing because everybody, we had that contraction between Thanksgiving and December. We lost a week. Yeah. So everybody bought all their stuff there. Right. So we saw about 6 to 7% higher volumes in December versus uh, last year. Mm -hmm. uh, again, not comparing apples to apples because we have a shortened period of time for people to buy stuff and ship stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but this year we are, we're still showing up uh, about 4% in volumes. And month over month, we are down 24%. <laughs> in terms of wow. where we were this time last month. Um, so a pretty big drop right there. Now, again, this is just a day-over-day -day thing yeah. so far. Uh, that'll normalize out to a—I'm uh, I'm assuming we will still only drop about 2 3% this year yeah. uh, versus last year, but getting a little ahead of myself there with the forecasting. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> capacity, tender rejections, yeah. uh, they are about 300 basis points off— of last year, which isn't that much. It's a 3%. So if it was, I, I believe we're, we're sitting right around seven, 8% right now. We were at 11 last year at this time. Okay. Uh, that's decent. But again, we were falling off that super hot 2018. Still, I think those comps are going to become a little bit better uh, throughout the year. And we are about 46 basis points up month over month. Gotcha. So early in December, this time we were a little bit higher, not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we're a little bit higher now than we were about a month ago. But again, we're coming down off of a super, like, you know, elevated period of time. So it's really not comparing apples to apples. Um, I think that is something relatively interesting to me just to see where do we stand in terms of the historical perspective? Because it can always feel like, you know, just like we were talking about in 2018, 2019, like, mm -hmm. well, we're comparing, you know, lukewarm to burning hot yeah and it's going to feel a lot cooler yeah yeah you know and i i think that people lost the idea that the we really didn't lose that much volume yeah the demand side was still there we just had a lot more supply right and that's going to be a common theme throughout the year now this year we're anticipating that that supply side is going to be the one that's in correction okay uh, as long as the demand side does its part yeah, yeah and stays relatively you know decent i don't think anybody's expecting a 2018 again mm -hmm. but uh, those volumes were pretty excessive, but again, we were coming out of a really cold period for freight and people just didn't have time to buy the equipment yeah. and get drivers on the road and get up to speed. So there just was so much going on all at once. You know, that volatility, Yeah, that's yeah. what you look for. Yeah. That nice, even climb is, is easy to manage. Yeah. Yeah. When things spike and shoot up overnight, I mean, it takes months for carriers to get up and operating or, you know, even brokers yeah, uh, and shippers, you know, they're, they're the ones that are out there. They don't know their, you know, if their salespeople are out there killing it, yeah, yeah, you know, it could happen all at once. Everybody's like putting in orders right. all of a sudden. Right. And Amazon prime goes down, you know, technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always going to fail you. Yeah. It's always going to fail you. So, you know, the market looks okay right now in terms of freight. Uh, we're, we're feeling pretty optimistic, I think so far, even though it is January and it's not, it's not the greatest month of year of the year. Feeling optimistic. I like those words. Though. Yeah. Feeling optimistic about when January ends. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Yeah. But you've got, uh, you know, we've had, we've got a few things, you know, coming up that you might not be feeling so optimistic about. No. Um, and it's okay. Cause I have a, I have a bright outlook a few months from now. 
But as of now, no. Um, after, after January. After January, <laughs> after February, okay. maybe even after March. But okay. um, one of the things that recently came out that, that hit headlines was the ISM. So for those of you who don't know, this is the Institute for Supply Management. They have um, the PMI, which is the Purchasing Managers Index. And so this is a survey that's put out every month, watched by many who are really tracking things within the manufacturing and industrial segment. Um, but it's also pertinent to freight because this uh, industrial economy really is pivotal for, you know, dry van and flatbed, uh, flatbed trailers that haul these goods that are being um, produced throughout the country. And so the PMI came in at 47.2. That's really low. That's pretty low. Um, it's pretty low. Uh, and, and so for those who don't know, 50 is the, the, the baseline. And so anything below 50 it's considered contraction. Anything above 50 is considered expansion. And so this is the fifth month of decline and of contraction, I should say. And it, 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 it took many by surprise. I don't know why, but it took <laughs> me by surprise. Why I, would it take people by surprise? I have no idea. I was trying to find where, where the catalysts were that they were looking at. I, yeah. I don't know if it was. Um, maybe they're looking at year-over-year comps, which still wouldn't have given that much of a catalyst. Um, I don't know if they're um, putting more into the phase one um, expectations that hasn't even been signed yet, but that, that for the tariffs for the tariffs, the, yeah. yeah. For, but it, but does that have that much to do with it? No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean no. that's we we that's the thing. Like we we don't produce as much stuff in house like we did in the past. Mm -hmm. It's coming from China, yeah. and South Asia and India. And I saw an interesting thing on India being one of the bigger importers i have high hopes for india yeah. in the coming years um, yeah. really india and mexico but yeah i digress the pmi the pmi um <laughs> so the the, the ism they put out a few different components right so mm -hmm. they have the pmi they have new orders production employment uh inventories the list goes on backlogs and so the thing that i like to look at in the pmi is what's happening with new orders because new orders is going to tell you a story of your future commitments and, and what's down the line that you have to produce or what's on tap to produce. I also look at production because that tells us what's happening right here and right now. Um, I also look at the backlog of orders because that's telling us, okay, our new orders are coming down. Let's, let's work on all this stuff that we haven't been right. able to get to, you know? Zach, the, the, the backlog of orders is at 43.3. Oh, this is depressing. <laughs> See, this is, this is the January that I know. This is the way that I know. Now, it's not so great that it's we just had really what was the end of, of a quarter, fourth quarter, and these orders aren't coming in like, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, we've got surplus money left in the budget. Let's yeah. go spend it. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, if you show too much money, you got to pay taxes on it. Yeah. And that's, that's not great. No one likes those. So they got to reinvest in the company in order to make sure that they don't get too much tax uh, penalty. Yeah. And so when, when, when I'm looking at this, I, I'm not expecting... Um, Getting ahead of myself. I'm not expecting a, oh, a lot from... There we uh, go. We were going to do these forecasts here at the end. <laughs> so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll bite our tongue a little bit. Yeah. We'll, we've already given away a little bit. But. Yeah, I'm not expecting a whole lot, uh, let's just say, for the industrial economy mm -hmm. in the opening months of 2020. Um, but, 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 um, I am looking forward to the second half of 2020. We'll get into more of that later, but when I'm... You know what? Go ahead. Let's just do it now. All right, we'll, all right, we'll recap, all right. We'll okay. recap what we okay. pre predicted at the end, and then next week you guys can hold us accountable for anything that happened next week or okay. in the next months. So when we're, we're looking at the industrial economy, mm -hmm. industrial production is coming up next week. Mm -hmm. 
I am not expecting a gain here. So, um, what gives you that inclination? <laughs> <laughs> Besides the decline in uh, the PMI, and recently, I think oh, yesterday, we just got uh, factory orders, new orders mm-hmm. that came out that really looks at the manufacturing component. Um, that's also down. Um, so I am not optimistic about industrial production showing any kind of increase. So it had a nice little blip up last yeah. month. And that was mostly tied to GM's uh, strike being called off. Right. And so now that that was a nice uh, bump up. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be something that's going to be sustainable. Right. So I don't expect that to really have a lot of um, impact in this upcoming month. You know, interesting thing about the GM strike. We did see that there was a huge, you know, in some of our data, like there was a huge bump of activity around the Detroit market. Yeah. Uh, after that strike ended. Yeah. Like at the end of October, early November, we saw so much activity in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, it really actually, it didn't have, a, it had a localized impact to capacity mm-hmm. there. Not not as much national, but it was an interesting uh, thing to watch as it looked like GM was really just trying to make up for the month. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, you know, I don't know if cars are being purchased at that same pace. Right, right. Or maybe they have some sort of production quota. I'm not really familiar with how that Or a works. backlog. A backlog of orders. Yeah, there you go. A backlog, which would have showed up in your, <laughs> in your in your ISM there. Um, but uh, I think oh, another big part that that really kind of took away from new orders this month was uh, the Boeing seven thirty seven. Oh, Max. that's right, the planes that yeah. don't work, <laughs> the planes that don't fly too well. Yeah, um, that that the transportation component of the new orders uh, for industrial for factory orders really brought down the overall trend. Um, wow. So that was a pretty big... Um, how much of a percentage of, of a component is that? How 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 much uh, of the overall do you think it... Do you think that there was... Like, if that had not occurred, do you think there would maybe be, like, a, a over 50? Or no? Uh, well, so I don't think that would have been over 50 no. for the PMI for sure. No. no. Okay. Um, just because it's just so... I think 13 different components for the PMI itself. Right, right. I don't think it would have done anything for... Uh, um, durable factory orders either sure um i think well they have it excluding transportation it might have been just about even or a slight mm-hmm. bump up like 0.1 percent i believe um but there there was a silver lining there was a silver lining for um factory orders and that came from it's a mouthful non-defense capital goods new orders excluding aircraft my god and so <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorite uh, components to look at for a factory order because it excludes everything. It excludes everything. <laughs> it gets rid of everything. Um, so why don't fifth- they call it what it is instead of what it isn't? You know, that's a government question. Okay, that's government. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for non-defense capital goods, new orders. Let's break it down. So non-defense capital goods, non-defense. So non-defense. So it's not any defense capital goods spending. Although there might be some ramp up in some defense spending here if things. Oh yeah, I was gonna say Iran yeah. and us are not not getting along. Not great. too well. So there could be a ramp up in defense spending. Although but. they have been saying that there's no escalation on either on either end. Right. I know Trump would normally be like, "Oh, I'm ready to fight today," but yeah. he hasn't been doing that at least as of today. Yeah. If it changes tomorrow, expect yeah. some yeah. ramp up in defense spending. Yeah. That could seep into manufacturing. Sure. Um. But so. That's because what, that's volatile. It's what pulled us out of the Great Depression. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm pulling for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it works. Um, um, but when we're looking at... It is at, a thing. It is a thing. When mm-hmm. we're looking at that, uh, that non-defense, because defense is a bit volatile, 
um, we we strip out that component. Okay. Aircrafts also volatile spinning. Strip out that component. It's also so, very expensive. Like yeah. those are very big investments. So yeah. that's why it, it can it make some swings. Such a huge swing. You yeah. can buy people buy five, you know, fifteen planes at a time, and that's a giant component. Like, yeah. It's just the sheer volume of that is is a lot. Right. <laughs> right. And I think those the carriers that can uh, you know secure those relationships mm-hmm. with maybe defense contractors and things like that they're going to be really positioned well, um, even in times of cyclical downturn, uh, if you kind of went over some of that contract business. Yeah. Um, but when we're looking at those two components, they're volatile, take them out, you're left with um, a good representation of business-to-business activity. And so when we're looking at business-to-business activity of capital goods, that's, that's really something that's going to tell us about how um, businesses are feeling about um, spending and, and investing. I'm sorry, did yeah. you say how they are feeling? Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's yeah. a good barometer yeah. for business <laughs> but it's, it's more tangible um, okay. because it's actually new orders. And so we're looking at new orders. Um, All right. I can deal with this. Yes. Yes. You're it's speaking real numbers. Yes. <laughs> Two consecutive months of rise. It's not indicative of a trend just yet, but okay. it's, a, it's a positive sign. Um, so that, that's telling us, hey, we can maybe expect some kind of production um, for cap, uh, businesses' capital goods um, going into the mid part of 2020 potentially. And that think that would be a really good news for freight um, because when we're looking at uh, the manufacturing segment, it has not really been beneficial for freight as of late, just because it's been kind of uh, declining for right for so long. Yeah, a few quite. It a few almost months. seems to me like the decline is really what hurts more. Like it, we if we just stayed flat, mm. it would be like you know you wouldn't have this huge expenditure of like you know people buying trucks, mm-hmm. oversupply, et cetera. And, but you really wouldn't have to deal with any kind of contraction because freight, as we know, a lot of trucking companies operate at the slimmest of margins. Yeah. And the 90, you know, I think the best operators make an ADOR mm-hmm. and that's just a recent occurrence yeah. after yeah. a 2018 market. But, uh, you know, most of the time you got your night swifts that are in the uh, 80s, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. But most trucking companies live in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, which means that they're not making more than 10 cents on every dollar mm-hmm. when they pay for all the operational expenses. Yeah. That doesn't include debt servicing or, you know, any, if they borrowed money, yeah. uh, taxes, anything like that. So, um, you're talking more about that EBITDA number. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, we're getting into it. Earnings before interest tax <laughs> depreciation. Yeah. No, it's, uh, and so it's, it is, you know, if, if we, the volatility is really, I think what makes a lot of carriers cringe mm-hmm. at times and and shippers as well i think volatility on any level you want to have a nice control growth that you can forecast and predict and we all know we don't live in that world i have some unicorns out back anthony yeah if you want me to sell you that nice even trend line up you, you know, know what 2%. i think <laughs> in my econ 201 class we call that equilibrium yeah i think I, it's been years. There you go. I, re- I remember that that fantasy. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it was econ or if it was my intro to fiction. Yeah. So, <laughs> Considering uh, it's a lot of theory in econ, yeah, right? Yeah. And, uh, keeping all other aspects yeah. equal yeah. and changing that one thing. Um, but I agree. I think once we've operating in that equilibrium, would be a fantasy. You know, it's yeah. a. It's. It would be nice. It's not a thing. But but I, knowing that we live in this uh, environment of volatility, one of the things I love about the government issue data is that it's granular. Mm-hmm. Things I don't like about it, that it's monthly. Right. Things I love about Sonar, it's an update on a daily, daily basis. Daily basis. 
And so one of the things I love about Sonar is being able to use those daily insights to like see, okay, where is this going? Where is the trend going? And how to pivot? Because back in my day, when when we're looking at being able to advise companies on what to do, if you're already um, doing something and and because it's the downturn and you're acting for the downturn, you haven't already prepped for the downturn, or you're trying to capture and catch up on an upswing, you're already too late. And so being able to prep before the uh, the swings and the cyclical cycles is cyclical uh, cycles. Cyclical cycles. <laughs> I think I got that one from Chad. Yep. He loves that <laughs> um, being able to really pivot before those cycles change. You definitely um, get early warning signs. You obviously yeah. don't want to get too held prisoner to the moment. No. Uh, you can. You you have the long term and you have your short term. Yeah. Uh, that you need to put together to really formulate your opinion. But last May, yeah. we actually got some pretty early warning signs mm-hmm. about things. Uh, we, we saw some really sharp declines in the overall market uh, that really like, I was like, wow, this is not usual. It's not normal. Uh, we got a lot of validation from that yeah. saying like, wow, this has been a rough, you know, and it's not just simply like oversupply. It was a demand side situation. So, yeah. um, you know, things just kind of fell off a cliff there right after the uh, the Trump announcement about Chinese tariffs. And I think it caused a lot of people to take a pause, um, especially in the bigger picture sense of the word as they were reevaluating spending and supply chain management type things. So yeah, to your point, I mean, it, it does help to have at least something that tells you like, you know, everybody forecasts, I used to do this, used to forecast year over year Mm -hmm. based on the week and the days, the working days of the month, you know, which is a big impact, especially when you're talking about earnings and, and things of that nature that you're held accountable for on the, fi- on the financial statements. Yeah. And all businesses are to an extent. You are basically looking at that bottom line and it is a fluid uh, situation. So any kind of early indication that you are not going to make budget or your expectations are not being met, that's a huge win. Like yeah. if you can get a day ahead of something, that makes yeah. tremendous difference in your bottom line, uh, you know, year over year. Because, I mean, especially when you're talking about trucking and transportation, mm-hmm. super slim margins, as I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you know, every penny on the dollar counts. Right. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, any other uplifting news, Anthony? I mean, it's we're, we need something to give the people. <sighs> okay. So, my, I, okay. So, so one thing's. Indu- industrial, don't count on manufacturing and industrial. No, I think, so I think industrial production down. Down. In the next Housing. Housing starts, I think, up. You think they're going to go up? Um, okay. So I'm confident in them going up. The only thing I think would restrict them from going up it would be that land availability. Yeah, that okay. ever going supply side issue. So I think I'm I'm saying up on housing starts. Okay. Um, other thing coming up next week I think is retail sales. Retail sales. Um, so I am I'm going to say up. I'm I gonna I, say I up. feel like that's a good. I, I'm I'm going to agree with you there because yeah, I feel up. like everything that we saw this year. It was like that sense of urgency was there for everyone to go yeah. out and spend money, and it looked like our freight volumes were, uh, like I said, those volumes were pretty five to six percent up year yeah. over year. All that freight that was pulled into the country months ahead of time, uh, the tariff pull for it, et cetera, was was really nice. Right. So, you know, I kind of want to bring back everybody back down to earth a little bit for just a minute, you All know, right, exactly. because Let's hear it. it's January and it's the Monday of the year. Let's hear it. Uh, so. It's, you know, we were talking about weather earlier Mm -hmm. and it's an obvious concern for any, uh, you know, anybody out there operating in transportation over the road. There are those accidents. Well, this is, you know, some of the accidents over the past several years have created these what we call nuclear verdicts. Um, 
and this is the time of year where we see a lot more of them uh, just because, you know, winter weather, like we said, everybody talks about why trucking companies can't, you know, operate as efficiently in the winter because yeah. they, they get stuck in ice and snow. Well, over the last weekend, we had a couple of pretty severe accidents involving trucks. Now, they weren't necessarily found to be the truck's faults, which I think is something people get confused a lot. They just automatically assign, well, it had to be the truck's fault because it's the biggest thing on the road and they obviously can't control it well. Yeah. And that's just not the case. One of them uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, five fatalities in this one. Very sad. Yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania is the fifth uh, most deadly state <laughs> to operate in. Really? Yeah. There's yeah, a fact for you. Um, yeah. Texas is number one. California, I believe, is number two. But again, you're talking about geographic opportunity there. You've got a lot more people in those areas. So it's going to be higher instance rates in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Pennsylvania had one and this was actually the, uh, the way it's worded, it looks like the tour bus caused the accident. And Mm -hmm. it was of course, wintry weather conditions, et cetera, that were in play, but nothing super unusual. Just all it takes is a, you know, one little minor miscalculation by you behind the wheel and something can go wrong. Um, and then there was one in Indiana where three people, and this is super sad, um, this was, you know, a guy who basically just got distracted for a half second in his truck, slammed into the back of like a traffic jam and killed, uh, killed three people. And he, he wrote this really just heart wrenching note, really, uh, to the families. Like I'm complete, like handwritten note. Yeah. Like, I am completely wrecked over this. Like, yeah. It's basically just saying I, I, I have nothing, you know, right. to give you, but right. I, except for just, I am extremely regretful. Uh, about that situation, et cetera. So it's, you know, this is a, you know, terrible situation. Safety, mm-hmm. obviously, always a big concern. But the point of this is these type of incidents have created this huge insurance cost bubble, yeah. if you will. And it is one that's creating more and more challenges. Uh, I wrote an article over the weekend about this, how actually there's less fatalities involving trucks being reported. Uh, and there's also less unsafe driving violations in general year over year by carriers over the last year or so. Now, volumes are down, of course, but also it's not proportionate to the the drop in, you know, safety violations and fatalities is not proportionate directly to the drop in volumes. Right. Uh, but um, insurance costs are skyrocketing nonetheless. And it's because of these nuclear verdicts of things costing over $10 million yeah. uh, in settlements. And, you know, we've had a few of them over the last several years uh, that have exceeded, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so and insurance companies don't win in these situations. They have to go in and recalculate that into their algorithm that says we need to charge X amount of money every time one of these hits. Yeah. Because they're not just calculating the instances that, you know, the chances for you having an incident, but the cost of those incidents as well. Yeah. So that's in that's inflating insurance costs significantly. And, you know, it's not, you know, there's going to be a handful of carriers that go out of business on these nuclear verdicts. Uh, that's not news. But what it's going to do, it, that's not going to be the real supply side contraction. What's really going to be the supply side contraction here is that it is an additional cost and a barrier to entry that the trucking industry has not had before. Yeah. Um, most of the operators out there can go, you know, they get their $60,000 used truck and they can get on the road, file with the, you know, Department of Transportation and they're on their way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's not a huge, you know, now they can be their owner operator, except for in California if the AB5 passes. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. 
but that's that's the uh, that's the gist of it. Well, now they have to go and get insurance that costs them more than they can make in yeah. any given time. So basically, what I'm saying is they can't scale up fast enough to you know really implement some of the, or recover some of these insurance costs. So they're right. going to have to have a pretty healthy supply surplus right. while they get going. Um, so, or they're going to have to charge more for it. And also that's the second part of this. Yeah. These transportation providers are going to have to pass along those costs, uh, because they simply cannot bear the burden of all this. So anytime you see one of these shipper carrier broker, I mean, that's just additional cost that's going to get passed through eventually downstream. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a big, uh, that's a big thing, especially I thought it was kind of timely that I'd written that article. And then of course the next day I, I read about these two awful accidents right right uh going on but again not a fan of winter yeah not a fan of january here no no and i think we're getting pinged i see dooner in the comments on linkedin yeah. here <laughs> what? uh what type of house is best investment a two-story or a ranch oh well tim dooner hey um hear it. leader of uh what the truck yeah uh uh, I don't, I don't, Dooner, what are you talking, so I think uh, definitely a two-story would be a good investment for you, Dooner. Um, <laughs> for Dooner specifically. <laughs> for Dooner. Yeah. Because I don't think. Because I don't can, think he can handle stairs? I, I don't, <laughs> I, I think, I think he could handle stairs. I think Dooner can get like one of those lifts systems yeah, yeah. put in. Um, I think, you know, home prices are going to kind of probably stay pretty elevated um, throughout 2020. Okay. So if you're looking for um, directions for home pricing, Dooner, I think, you uh, you're going to see some pretty steady rises um, throughout the 2020 calendar year. Okay. Um, and I think so much so because there, there's a lot of pent up demand for homes. I think there's going to be a, an underpinning of support, even if say the R word happened in the next few years, uh, I think because there's such a strong demand for homes and millennials are just chomping at the bit to just get into that home market. Um, I think there's going to be a, a pretty nice, they don't want to uh, live with mom and dad anymore. Do they? No, no, they've been saving up for the past 25 to 38 years <laughs> um so they've been saving it for a while so i think i think home prices are going to be pretty pretty stable and so i think dooner i think if you're looking to now you know, what about i want to kind of add to this a little bit because we have a lot of people that move from expensive parts of the country mm-hmm. to less expensive parts of the country which yeah. in turn kind of equalizes the cost of a house are there any specific areas that you think might be contracting a little bit i know you said the northeast was a lot of multi family units. Um, so I think the areas that are going to be hard are going to be the areas that were really impacted before the Great Recession, before the housing bubble. And so these were areas that were already in a bad position. California, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> we keep saying California. Yeah, Cal- we just throw California in there every time. Um, but like, so like, say like uh, Detroit or something like that. Oh, They're yeah, going to be hit story. hard and that's yeah. going to be a hard climb up. And so I don't really see a lot of growth there. Um, let's see. Danny's talking about what about investing in the employee? I think so that's probably talking about when we're going over uh, the the yeah, job the quits. job the jobless and the quits. Um, so I think investing in the employee, but I think that goes further than just um, uh, uh, I think monetary, right? So sure. I think being able to expand and train, if you're you're able to offer something else other than just hey, here's more money, but hey, here's more responsibility. Here's how to you know something to add to also also the environment itself. Mm. I think there's a shift in the culture of the United States. I mean, we're not we're not in the 50s and 60s anymore. You can, yeah. don't just get come into work anymore and you do your nine to five thing mm. and just grind it out all day long. Like people don't want to do that anymore. The quality of life has come to a point where uh, you know a lot of these millennials and people, millennials ruin everything. 
I mean, I'm actually, I'm, I'm just fine with millennials. <laughs> I like that they think that it should be better yeah. um, in general, and it should. Uh, we don't, I mean, I made this statement back when I was starting. It's like, it's weird to me that we all still work as many hours as we did in 1977, mm-hmm. and we have so much more technology at our disposal. Their productivity should yeah, be going through the our roof. Our productivity, we should, I do 10 times the amount of work my dad did mm-hmm. in the 80s, because I used to, he was a stockbroker in the 80s, okay. and he, he was charting things on a, on a piece of graph paper yeah and i could do it in five seconds yeah you know and i'm like this should have diminished the amount of time but i, I was still as busy as i ever been mm-hmm. you know we're we're busy here all the time too but yeah. it's 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 surprising to me that you know we still have this kind of and sometimes that cultural aspect has bled in it's like well you should just be happy that you to be here and it's like well i want to be but you know back in uh, some of my previous jobs i was talking to some of the drivers and it's kind of like you know, one or two people being unhappy is, is, is a thing. That's not, you know, you're always going to have somebody that's disgruntled. But when mm-hmm. you have like a population of people yeah. that is, you know, you can tell that you walk into an office and they're just miserable. Mm-hmm. Like that's a true concern. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of time people just dismiss that as bad attitudes or, or something like that when it's really just being somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know, or something like that. Yeah. And, it, you know, the worst thing that you can do is be dismissive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not everybody's sitting in, you know, some sort of golden parachute situation. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, or they're they're not all sitting and maybe they just don't, they're not where they want to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's fine. Yeah. But you don't need to just dismiss it. Mm-hmm. I think that acknowledging that there is something that, you know, and maybe you can offer what they want. And that's a yeah. good thing, too. It's like, well, here's your expectations. Yeah. Let's yeah. level set. Yeah. I think just as you touched on, there's investments that you can make in your employee yeah. other than monetary. Sure. Um, and it goes right back to culture. You know, if you, if something can be done remotely and, and you don't need to have a meeting about it, I think millennials... I mean, they should be still held accountable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not, oh, I'm not yeah. saying like everybody should be sitting on a couch getting fed grapes and you still need to be able to work. That would be a nice benefit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that isn't a bring point. that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're running up on time here. So yeah. we've got about three minutes left. We need to get to some of these projections. So you, you know, I'll, I'll go through mine real quick. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be that shocking that I was predicting volumes to basically continue to slide off of last month. Uh, I expect a relatively, you know, I really, it's hard for me to anticipate volumes continuing to exceed last year. Yeah. I think we were, we were starting to see the, really the full expansion of that pull forward effect last January. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it continues into this first quarter, that's good. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to. So I think we'll end up basically flat in January to slightly down versus last year. Okay. Um, and then capacity itself, I actually anticipate uh, a you know similar situation because I don't think we fully actualized like pulled out of that 2018 situation this yeah. time last year yet. So I do expect uh, rejections to basically remain on par, if not a little bit under gotcha. last year by the end of the month. I gotcha. think we will, we'll see those reje- uh, rejection rates come back, you know, down to earth, and so will spot rates. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not my forecast for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, till next week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and I have housing starts up, retail sales up, and industrial production down. So that's going to be my my expectations for the data releases coming up until the next podcast. Okay. Well, Anthony, you were, we were in Chicago just recently. Yeah. And we didn't get to eat this particular piece of. I did. And I wasn't impressed. And this is upsetting to me because I go to Chicago (laughs) every year 
and I order a deep dish pizza. It's not pizza though. It, you can you, you can call it what you want. So you're telling me that, you know, when you order this item mm-hmm. and you see it sliced just like a pizza would be. Yeah. The only thing that's really different here is the fact that it's a little thicker. It's a bread bowl. It's so a it's bread got bowl. super thick crust. But yeah. It also has it's actually more cheese. And cheese well. is overrated too. They've basically doubled, if not tripled, some of the like main ingredients of pizza. I can't so you even basically just, like, have pick it up. It's you like have a triple decker pizza, if you will. Sounds awful. So by by this same logic, thin crust pizza is not pizza. It's closer to the original form. Of pizza. <laughs> and so thin crust pizza, New York style pizza, that's like premium. That's if you can't fold it, I don't want it. And when I'm looking at Chicago style pizza, it's essentially. I'm sorry to all my Chicago friends. I know there's one in particular that I'm going to hear from. You should. should. I support you. (laughs) He's going to disown me as a friend. Um, But yeah, Chicago style pizza is is, is a bread bowl with pasta sauce. You know what? It's like I told you. If you want to be the villain every week, I'm fine with it. You're going to eat it with a spoon? I'll have, you know, you don't like bacon. You don't like pizza. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Die Hard is still not a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas Eve movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's Freightonomics. Yes. Good show today. Everybody out there, stay safe and try to enjoy the January. It's amazing. (laughs) All right. We're out. 